Okay, welcome back to another episode of The Riff. Uh, my name's Cameron Spanner. I'm one of the directors of Adams and Partners Lawyers. And today, once again, we have a special guest, a regular on the show th- these days, uh, Mr. Dave Rosenthal. How are you? I am doing fantastic, Cam. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. As good as you can be in these circumstances, I guess. Exactly. Um, it's, you know, it's a privilege to be able to still record podcasts, even if we're doing it remotely. So that's, that's always great. Um, but how, how have you been, Dave? You've been busy in the accounting world? Uh, busy would be an understatement. <laughs> Basically, uh, I've spent two months doing a lot of government grant applications, going things through as people are aware with the job saver and COVID support grants. We've been busy helping getting all our clients onto some form of income support, not with much help from uh, Service New South Wales. So yeah, they I can con- imagine. They, 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 they shift the goalpost basically every five minutes, which is yeah. leaving me getting – I'm probably bold by the time I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Well, before we get into it, Dave, just for maybe some of our newer listeners here, why don't you give a bit of a rundown of um, yourself and Judge Accountants and what you guys do and how you can help people? Of course. So uh, Judge Accountants, we're a um, Penrith-based accounting firm, and we focus on basically all factors of business life from inception to mature phases to retirement. We work on what we call the seven steps to success, which goes through all different cycles of business and life. Um, you know, our motto is we help clients on our path to success. And, you know, I'm sure every other accountant out there will tell you they'll do their tax returns and buzzers. We focus more on an advisory basis. So I think whenever someone asks me what's the difference between any other accounting firm versus judge accountants, I always put it simply as this. We don't just do, we help. And we focus yeah. on what the client's trying to achieve to get the best outcome for them, whether it's through regular advice, tax advice, or structuring their affairs to help them get a healthy retirement. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, that's that's good to hear because we're going to talk about some of those advisory issues today. Um, and yeah, we're, it's really, part, we're getting a bit past the retirement phase. Yeah, that's right. Well, we're, we're really getting um, to the end of things because today we're going to be talking about essentially – estates and, you know, tax. That's a big issue here Um, because a lot of people out there, I know the question that I get asked all the time is, um, you know, will my kids have to pay my death duties or anything like that? Um, And as we're both aware, Dave, there is no death duties in New South Wales anymore. However, there is fees that you have to pay, which almost seem like a death duty, just with a rebranded name when it comes down to it. Yeah, there's a lot of different phases with a deceased estate. And obviously, from my point of view, um, whenever I give any advice is what do you plan to walk away with and what is the end game? And people don't realize what happens with a deceased estate until they're in the middle of it and it can get a bit painful or get a bit hard to obviously deal that with, you know, when you're emotionally trying to process everything. So I guess it's a good understanding of what is going to happen and also have a conversation with, you know, your dependents about this is what's going to happen, how the process is, so they're aware of their tax obligations and potentially your estate's tax obligations. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess really what happens with the process here is, um, you know, someone passes away and usually the first thing that happens is 
um, myself or another solicitor would get involved and start the process of probate if they've got, you know, significant assets. Um, we would go through that process with the court system and then we'd get to the second stage of the process, which is what is usually known as the distribution. Now, in a perfect world, we would get our court order and we'd be able to distribute straight away, but it's not always the case, Dave. And sometimes there's other issues at play, such as, you know, property, they can't be sold for whatever reason, you know, young beneficiaries, um, you know, multiple, multiple scenarios here. And that's when, um, I guess accountants sort of get involved there in that kind of structuring in those tax issues in that situation. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And I think like a good point is, you know, you get your accountant and get your lawyer to make sure they're in the same room and we're all on the same page before we go through. Because obviously, if we take a step back, first thing you start off with is making sure you have a will. Yeah, well, that's right. And everybody should have a will. And I've yeah. stressed that, I think, in almost every estate podcast that we've done here so far. <laughs> if somebody passes away with a will, it goes through probate. If not, it goes through letters of administration. Um, but just because you don't have a will doesn't mean that there isn't going to be any tax. <laughs> so, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, there's going to be tax at the end of the day, no matter which way you go about it. So. Yeah. And from an accounting standpoint, there's sort of there's a few different events, and it's big triggering events. What happens from an accounting point of view? Because obviously, when a death well, obviously when death occurs, you speak to your lawyer, you get the will sorted out, and you're going through the probate, and then it's what is happening in between. Because there's a big gap between obviously when someone dies and when money is received by the beneficiaries. Yeah, and look. I, I don't know if you uh, accountants go off this term, but usually when we handle estates, the executor of the will or the administrator is usually given this thing that's called the executor's year. Now, the executor's year is really a that's period true. of time. I, that's, like, that's interesting. Is it, yeah. is, it an, is it executor's year actually 12 months, or is it like a baker's dozen? Well, that's right. Well, the way that I understand it is it is usually 12 months, and that's yep. the goal that we set our clients when we deal with them is – Let's try and get this estate resolved in 12 months if we can, okay? And usually that is like, okay, coming up at the start of, you know, the process, um, what are we going to do with the property? If there's property, we're going to keep it or we're going to sell it, um, you know? Where are all the assets? If we start understanding where all the assets are at the start, we don't waste time trying to get them at the end and find them. Yeah. Um, so we take all of this into play, but when it usually goes over that executor's year period, um, that's when you have – um, you know, issues of tax potentially at play. Yes. You're uh, right. So for accountants, we don't have an executive year. Two years is the magic number. Okay, now, I'll, get, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get to the two years or so. So let's start off at, at the start when someone passes away. So when yep. someone passes away, that's when you do a final tax return. So you do – so normally everyone does their tax returns. Um, there's a couple of different things which have to happen from a tax perspective. So first off – after death, you have to do a tax return up until the date of death. So if I die away, die on 30 June, we only need one tax return? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But if, oh, if it's the 2nd of July, you know, you've got to do another one. <laughs> so you've got to do a tax return for the two days you were yeah. alive and then for the other, yeah. then the whole. But what happens really? So let's talk about your assets. So yeah. what happens is when you die, for a taxation purpose, you are deemed to have disposed of all your assets because your assets actually transfer to your estate. Yep. So the estate is actually a separate entity. So, yep. so they're, they're, it's deemed that they've been disposed of and they're now over in the estate. Now, obviously, there's no capital gains from that point of view, but 
the estate now has the assets. Now, very common, the most common thing obviously is the family home. So let's just say the family home, you know, mum and dad was living in it all his life. He was in care and he passes away and the family home transfers into the estate. And obviously you need to sort out all your probate stuff. Yep. And let's just say the house passes and you had one child. So house passes to the dependent. And what happens when that dependent has that property? So there's a couple of options. So let's just say the son, Junior, decided to sell the house. If he sold the house within two years of death and it was the, ma- and it was the family home, then there's no capital gains tax, regardless of whether he lived in it or not. Yeah. That main residence exemption, so carries on. You have that two, lovely, and that's where that magical two-year number carries on for. Yeah. So where, and it, and so then you have a couple other unique things of main residence or something which is more than older than when CGT start, capital gains tax started, which is September 1985. Yep. So you still get a couple of deceased estates around nowadays where the family home, they were bought before 85. Yep. And it transfers over to the family home. If you decided to rent it out, then it becomes an asset and you continue on and you have all that capital gains tax issues. So it's a matter of whether you want to dispose of that house straight away or you're going to rent it out. Because if you sell it straight, if you sell it within two years, then you have this advantage of having a tax-free capital gain. Yeah, that's right. You've got to put these numbers in play. I was just going to say, Dave, and I guess that's one point as well, whereas if you were thinking about renting it out before you essentially do that, it's probably worthwhile getting advice to see, you know, if there's benefit to it. Exactly, exactly. And one thing we didn't really, and that's really with home, what happens if during the executor's year the estate made money? So, for instance, let's say there was a rental property there. Mm-hmm. So there was a bunch of different estates and you know there was a bunch of properties in the person's estate and they you spent a year having to sort it out. Yep. But in the meantime that rental that, that place is still getting money. It's still collecting money. Who pays tax on that money? Yeah. The estate pays tax on the money because the estate is collecting money on behalf. Now how an estate works from a tax perspective is it's actually like a trust. I know we've previously discussed about trusts in uh, a prior podcast where a trust is really a flow through entity. It's talking about it's holding money for the benefit of others. It's mm-hmm. holding assets for the benefit of others. In this case, the beneficiaries of this estate are set out in the will. So from a trust perspective, it has a trustee, which is the executor. Yep. And the beneficiaries are whoever the, the beneficiaries are as per the will. Yep. So Which in, makes sense. Yeah. Now, if now normally with a trust, you're supposed to distribute the money straight away, or you pay tax at the highest marginal rate. The trust does. For a for a trust for an estate, though, it actually has a special concession, where if you had income in there for up to three years, the trust is actually taxed like an individual. So therefore, mm-hmm. and the biggest advantage of that is the first eighteen grand is tax free. Yep. So if you were sorting out the probate and things were ticking over for me more than a couple of years, and if they, you're getting some rental income in, at least you're not getting penalized because it's going to be taxed as if the deceased was paying tax on it anyway in the first yeah. place. Yeah, that's right. Okay. No, well, that's good. And I guess it's one of those things where the larger your asset pool, the more likely something like this is going to come into play. Exactly. Yeah. But that's obviously on all the basis that, 
things are peachy, everyone is great. So what happens in the event of there's not one child, but there might be three children and one doesn't get along with the others or one didn't get as much as the other? What would probably happen there? Well, you're probably looking at somebody who's going to contest it. And if somebody contests an estate, um, from a legal perspective here, the estate's on hold. I don't know not what necessarily happens with accounting for that, Dave. Does that would that be grounds for an exemption if the estate's contested for lengthy litigation? Yeah. So look, it, there's two parts to it. So there's obviously if the estate's still earning money, yeah, you're still going to have you got free. So that that special concession where the trust will get taxed at individual tax rates, you got three years. Yeah. So you at least have that advantage. And three years, like if, if anything's ever gone there more than three years, it's chances a there's, no, there's, no, there's no bloody money left. Yeah, it's either a serious yeah. matter or there's no bloody money there to begin yeah. with. The other issue which we're, we haven't really touched on is this two-year marker with the property. So remember, you've got two years to sell a house, a, fa- a, main, a house which has a main residence exemption, in order to not pay any tax on it. What happens if you go over that two years or you don't sell it within the two years? So there's two parts to it. One, there is, you can, you can't get an extension. The first is an automatic extension, which is if you meet very certain conditions and they're listed on the ATO website. The conditions being that, um, reasons outside your control doesn't allow you to sell the property due to dispute. Um, there was disputes with tenants or different other matters going on with the house. If you meet, and they're very specific, like you have to meet every single one of the conditions. Yes. If that is the case, you get an additional 18 months extension. Okay, so you could have up to three and a half years. Correct. But it's always very messy. Like, and nothing, very rarely have I seen a disputed estate meet the exact requirements that the ATO is asking for. Yeah. So then you've got to go and actually ask the ATO, ask, ask the Commissioner of Taxation for discretion for an extension. I've done a lot of reading on this, and obviously I've done a few disputes before. It's called a private binding ruling. So you basically go to the ATO and go, hey, we would like to get an extension. Here are the reasons. This is the law. Can you help us? And one of the main things in regards to getting an exemption is if the matters were out of your control. Okay. So if you're just lazy and or if you just sat on it because you're waiting for a higher price, ATO will tell you to go jump in a lake. Yeah, which makes sense, really, because they want yeah. you to, you know, settle it as quick as possible. <laughs> so. Correct. But if you're actually having a dispute, like, and you've got to have, have a dispute and have a fight over it, you will, there is a strong, there is a good, there could be chances that they'll grant you the exemption and yeah. give you an extension of that two year period. Yeah. And I guess um, it, that kind of falls into play with um, some of the advice that I give my clients, which is not necessarily financial advice. But at the end of the day, when we're talking about things like this, and um, you know, there's tax issues and you know, potential litigation issues and stuff like that. If you can agree to distribute early, you give the ability for each beneficiary, whether there be one or ten, to do whatever they want with their own money, and then it's their issue. It's not the estate's issue. There. Exactly. Yeah, because once once you once you have some people contesting, and the yeah. main thing is is if things are getting out of hand, they're drawing on. Mm-hmm. Have your evidence, have your documentation. Well, that's because right. It's file notes and things like that. Because if you're going to the ATO and saying, "Oh, I had a fight with my brother," and they go, well, "What happened?" He's like, "Well, we just yelled over the phone." 
It's different to each um, each person, you know, lawyering up and and going from there. (laughs) Exactly. And the private binding ruling, like you're looking at, you know, potentially, you know, five to ten grand just to you know get things done, like write it up. But they're not they're not simple pieces of advice. Yeah, and then there's the chance it gets rejected. Exactly. (laughs) So because once once you have a private binding ruling, it's done and dusted. There's no objections. It's just it. Is there an appeal process or? I think potentially sometimes you can do the AAT. Yeah. But, you know, you still, who's got, are you going to pay another 10 grand, another five grand again to go through the AAT to dispute something? Oh, I imagine it would be pretty rare to go down that path. So, so really the key things, I guess, what I'm taking away here are, is that the estate's going to have some sort of tax whatsoever, whether it be personal tax or, you know, an estate tax issue if there's assets like property held. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Okay. And I think if you've got sizable assets, like it's always worthwhile to chat to discuss it prior to being deceased. Under, so everyone understands what is going to happen. Yeah. And if not deceased, like say you've been given the power of an executor and you don't know necessarily what you need to do, getting that advice early on from yeah. your solicitor and accountant. Correct. So you understand everyone is is well aware, okay, this is what's going to happen. We're going to sell for X, and it's going to pass down to Y, and it's going to be sold for X. If we do it in this round, everyone gets X amount of money, and then everyone's happy. Because yeah. normally when you have that forefront, because chances are if if it's never even three ways or something along those lines, it can lead to some very – you can lead to disputes. And well, as soon as a dispute happens – Geez, that's just that's just ka-ching for lawyers and accountants. <laughs> well, that's right. And I guess the key thing is as well, it's like anything. If you have a proper plan at the start, you will save money in the long run, exactly. which is the thing. Where it comes down at the end of the day, what you've been given here, if you're an executor or a beneficiary, is you're getting, you're receiving a gift. And I guess what you want to do is maximize the amount of value that that gift is worth. So you don't want to be paying tax if you don't need to. Exactly. And one of the key things which we haven't even touched upon here is in regards to superannuation. So because obviously when you when you pass away, your super doesn't actually form part of your will. It's a separate it's a separately managed estate. Yep, that's right. And then it has to be gifted over in regards to we'll pay it out through what what is normally done as a binding death nomination. Although there is the circumstances which I do have come up occasionally where there is no nomination and then it has to fall part of the estate. So it falls so, under the will then. Really? Yeah, so I've got a clause in the wills, wills that I draft that say in the event that the superannuation death benefit cannot be paid due to there being a failure of having a nomination or the super company doesn't deem it acceptable, it has to be paid to the estate. So that way you still capture it then. But I then what, what you need to make sure in that situation then is make sure that the people that are getting the residue of your estate is who you want the binding death nomination to be. Otherwise, you're going to have an issue where people that you think are going to receive a gift aren't going to receive it. Exactly. And the biggest, when this really comes to a head, is always blended families. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It's always, it's never, you know, if, like very rare, like obviously there, there are always disputes, but generally if you have a remarriage with other kids and things going like that, it's always worthwhile to get some advice on how you want your assets distributed. That's right. And absolutely. make sure they're going the right way because you don't you want everyone to be happy. Well you, you want everyone to be yeah, as happy as they possibly can be. 
but also make sure that everybody is clear as to what's to happen. Because exactly. when it isn't clear, that's when people fight. Yep. So, and that's, you know, like you said before, that's ka-ching time for lawyers and accountants, and you don't want to be paying lawyers and accountants if you don't want to. Well, perfect example uh, where things didn't go to plan in regards to superannuation is, you know, that story was down in Victoria with that – 26 year old paralegal in the um who oh, was that's right yeah dating the magistrate and yep. the debt and the death benefits and it was a well-off magistrate you know doing yep. really well um he, he he was you know separated and they were they were courting each other and the death benefit didn't go to her mum who probably needs it definitely on a not making as much yeah magistrate actually was able to petition and get the money so he yep. got his um, partner's death benefit and rode off into the sunset. Yeah. And, and look, um, death benefits and super, we'll have to do another podcast on death benefits, I think. I feel like we've only touched on it, but it is. We've touched on it because I have, I have matters all the time, especially when younger people pass away and they don't have wills. Um, you know, you have, there's multiple issues that you have at play here with, like, you know, partners, parents, siblings. It's just – it could be a nightmare, absolute nightmare. So – uh, but we'll save that for another time, I think, Dave. Yeah, and I think what, but what I think key takeaway from here: make sure, obviously, first off, get your estate planning matters sorted out. Yeah. And that's prior, that you, prior to death. We're saying here, exactly. Get prior it to sorted. Death. <laughs> get it sorted. Have an understanding, and it's just it, it's not a, it's not it's just having a sit down and going with people going. This is what's going to happen. This is what I have, and this is how I've distributed, and this is what I've spoken to my accountant of how it's going to be planned out. And look, this is some advice that I always give to my clients, Dave, is there's no avoiding it here. We're all going to die, okay? I'm not sugarcoating it. We're all going to die here. Nobody's got some cure that will, you know, prevent aging at this stage in 2021 where we are. If they do, they're not sharing it with anyone. But it's going to happen. So rather than sticking your head in the sand, you need to deal with it, okay? It's not a pleasant conversation, but it's a conversation that is very much worthwhile. And hopefully if you do it properly, you don't have to worry about it again in the future. Oh, exactly. I'll finish off with, a, with the, the classic cliche. There's only two things you can always count on, death and taxes. And I think that's the name of this podcast. It should be after that. <laughs> so. No, very good. Okay, well, I think that kind of wraps it up in a nice little bow, Dave. Um, but if anybody's got any further questions for you or has some estate issues regarding tax, so where can they find you and contact you? Yeah, look, you can find us obviously on our website, judgeaccountants.com.au. Um, you can contact us on 47323844. And just so everyone is aware, we are fully online right now. Um, obviously, you know, if you need to drop off documents, we do have some certain drop off times as well, but, uh, we are still taking appointments and full Zoom calls during this, uh, current stay-at-home restrictions. Yep, absolutely. Great to hear, Dave. And as all you other listeners would out there know, if you need anything from us here at Adams and Partners Lawyers, uh, the link to our website, email, Facebook, all will be in the description to this podcast. Uh, and I guess we'll be back in the next couple of weeks with another podcast. So thank you once again, Dave, for joining me. Um, Always a pleasure. Very good podcast once again, and we'll have you back, I'm sure. You're a regular around these parts now. So uh, we will see you soon, and take care. Stay safe, okay? All the best. Okay, see ya. Thanks, everyone. Bye.